and welcome to The Hearth and Hedge. My name is Margot. And I'm Amberly, and we're so happy to have you. Yes, especially on this special episode, our Samhain Sabbat special. I'm very I excited. Samhain. I do too. I do so too. much. What is your favorite Sabbath? Yule. Yule, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love me some winter solstice too. I love it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I mean, well, the whole, all of it. Yeah. All of Sa- it. Samhain holds a special place in my heart, which I'm sure I am not alone there. I actually think that the autumn equinox and Samhain and the winter solstice and the summer solstice are my favorites. <laughs> So. I like Samhain, Yule, and Beltane. Nice. And Imbolg. Yeah. I like all the cooler months ones. Speaking of Samhain, you did something really interesting this past weekend. I did. Uh, so, way back months ago, my friend Barbara, who I talk about all the time, said that she had been asked to uh, present about uh, the history of Samhain in Scotland, the Celtic cultures, to the Scottish American Women's Society. And when she was asked, she decided that um, I should be a part of it since we have this podcast and I'm used to doing this kind of a thing. So this past weekend, we did our presentation and it was really it was really fun and really interesting. And that's awesome. I love that. I love that. Very cool. Yeah. So I actually, uh, published the, um, spreadsheet, the spreadsheet, not the spreadsheet, the presentation that I did, the slideshow that I did on our Patreon page. So that's available for our, uh, moon tier and up patrons. Yeah. This, this weekend took a turn very quickly. Um, I was, uh, for the last couple of weeks, um, I f- was pretty sure that I was going to have a busy weekend, but then it was, became absolutely certain. And I was like, oh, shit, how are we going to record our book club Zoom meeting, um, which we publish on the Patreon for the moon tier and up every Sunday when we are doing a book? Um, because I had uh, two beans come and stay with me over the weekend because we went to the South Jersey uh, gem jewelry fossil and mineral show and then the following day which was sunday we went to south jersey pagan pride um and uh we had to come up with another plan because we weren't able to squeeze the book club recording in like we typically do and it just so happens that amber lee was working on this amazing presentation and and it's Samhain, so it was really great to have that uh, content that we could share on patreon in lieu of the book club meeting just for this week. And then we will pick up the book club where we left off um, on Sunday when this actually, when this will air, it will have been yesterday (laughs) that we picked up the book club. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you know how it is. We, we, sometimes we record a couple weeks in advance and that's just how it is. Um, I I actually think after this airs, we will, we will have just finished the book. Yeah. Yeah. The day before. So that, um, I was just going to say, so that gem show that I went to was absolutely amazing. This month's theme for me has been like 
crystals and rocks and gems. So um, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours and the podcast, um, Teresa from Two Geminis and a Leo, told me about a live sale for crystals and, you know, rocks happening. Um, I can't remember what night it was, um, but it's Romeo's Rocks on Instagram. Amazing. Amazing inventory, amazing prices, such nice people, super fast service and shipping. I already have my stuff, but I got to tell you, this is the first time I ever, ever did a live crystal sale and I, w- I didn't know what to expect. I was nervous. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. It was actually really, really easy and fun, but I did lose my damn mind and buy <laughs> way more stuff than I had planned to. <laughs> It happens. Totally lost it. <laughs> totally lost it. But I, I'm looking at my crystals right now, and I even got a few bracelets that I'm currently wearing, and I am so, so, so happy with them. They are beautiful. They were priced amazingly, and I just have to say Romeo's Rocks, the shit, amazing. Um, so awesome. what I I really wanted a skull, like a crystal skull, because, you know, it's, it's Samhain season. I wanted to get a, a really beautiful skull and have that on my altar as part of my like spirit slash ancestor work for this month. And I was kind of waiting around for that. And she was like, all right, well, you know, the person who was facilitating the live sale was like, all right, let's, uh, let's look at some skulls right now. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I don't even, I, I just like blacked out and my fingers did the work for me because as soon as I saw this African bloodstone skull, I, my, my brain turned off and my body just real quick typed the code and hit send. And it was funny because the the woman who was facilitating the sale was even like, Oh, she knew she needed that one right away because of how fast (laughs) I just was like, mine. That's funny. And then once I did that, it kind of just snowballed from there. And I got, you know, a massive black moonstone palm stone. I got this like barite and cesarite cluster that I need to do some research on. But as soon as I saw it, I felt like I needed it. I got a blue sandstone owl. I've got moonstone bracelets, a blue sandstone bracelet. I just lost my mind and I fucking love it because I'm so happy. And then I went to the gem show and I lost my mind again. (laughs) Very nice. But I love what I got. I'm glad that you didn't uh, message me. I would have been Venmoing you all day. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, it was it was a little bit. I was I was a tiny bit overstimulated because there was just stuff everywhere, and it was mm-hmm. the fossils were actually so fascinating and amazing and completely out of my budget. I had my eye on this. It was like a um, saber tooth, but it was just the portion of the jaw that was still kind of lodged in some stone but you could see some of the front teeth including the big 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 saber tooth and some of the bottom teeth all closed together and I was like man that is so cool it wasn't that big either you could probably hold it in both your hands it was $2,400 holy shitballs yeah so and that was not the largest and most incredible specimen there so but there was there was also like you know you could get a cabochon for eight dollars or you could get a a big hunk of smoky quartz for 25 dollars or you could get something really massive and beautiful for like eighteen hundred dollars you know it really there was there was something for everyone there um yeah and i i got myself a few things that i'm really really happy about and it was a good time it was a good time 
That's awesome. Yeah, I really wanted to go, but I was busy. <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, so if you are interested in looking at that, I only covered the Celtic nations in Scotland, Wales, Great Britain, and Ireland. Um, but it's definitely, it was definitely a lot of fun to do the research. Cool. So tell me about this pagan pride festival you went to. That was nice. Uh, South Jersey Pagan Pride Festival. It used to happen um, every year uh, at Cooper River Park, which is, uh, you know, flows through a couple towns, but the festival itself is in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And um, they, they, I, I'm pretty sure that they didn't do it for a couple years during, you know, the pandemic. Um, and this was the first year that they picked it back up again. Uh, unfortunately, they had to postpone it till, you know, Sunday, which was yesterday at the time at, at, that we're recording this. Um, it originally was going to be on the weekend when the, that tropical storm came sweeping up, you know, the eastern coast. Remnants so, um, yeah, they had to postpone it because otherwise, otherwise it would have been absolutely miserable uh, mm -hmm. experience, but I think because they had to postpone it, um, they had, they had some difficulty getting everybody that was supposed to be participating and all that. So it was a bit small, but, um, there were a lot of great vendors there. Um, there was a lot of really good stuff being offered and I got, I got some inspiration from it, which is always fantastic. And it was a beautiful day and we had some good company. So that was nice. nice. Uh, but yeah, pagan pride, baby. Bride. So do you want to talk about Samhain? Sure. <laughs> I like Samhain. I like Samhain too. <laughs> so as usual, we do our spiel where I cover history, folklore, and mythology um, mm -hmm. to start. So I'll just get started. All right. Um, okay. Samhain is a pagan religious festival originating from an ancient Celtic spiritual tradition. In modern times, Samhain, spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, is usually celebrated from October 31st to November 1st to welcome in the last uh, of the three major harvests and usher in a the dark half of the year. Celebrants believe that the barriers between the physical world and the spirit world break down during Samhain, allowing more interaction between humans and the denizens of the other world, namely ancestors and the sacred dead. So ancient Samhain and the ancient Celts. Ancient Celts marked Samhain as the most significant of the four quarterly fire festivals taking place at the midpoint between fall equinox and the winter solstice uh, by Susanna Morgan Black, a Druid. To the ancient Celts, the year had two hinges, so to speak. There was Beltane, the first day of May, and Samhain, or Samhuin, the first of November, which is also the traditional Celtic New Year. And these two days were the most magical and often frightening times of the whole year. The Celtic people uh, were in superstitious awe of times and places in between. Holy sites were any border places, uh, the shore between land and water, bridges, boundaries between territories, crossroads, thresholds, etc. Holy times were also border times, twilight and dawn marking the transitions of night and day, Beltane and Samhain marking the trans transitions of summer and winter. 
read your myths and fairy tales. Many of the stories occur in such places and such times. At Samhain, which corresponds to modern Halloween uh, in parentheses, time lost all meaning and the past, present, and future were one. The dead and the denizens of the other world walked among the living. It was a time of fairies, ghosts, demons, and witches. Winter itself was the season of ghosts, and Samhain is the night of their release from the underworld. Many people lit bonfires to keep evil spirits at bay. Often, a torch was lit and carried around the boundaries of the home and farm to protect the property and residents against the spirits throughout the winter. So I have this little bit from druidry.com on the origins of Samhain. The word Samhain is pronounced sow as in cow in and is sometimes written in the old Scottish Gaelic form as Sam Hewen, which is pronounced not the way I just read it. I'm just trying to explain how it's spelled, which is S-A-M-H-U-I-N-N. It is said that at this special time of Samhain, the veil that separates the worlds is at its thinnest. So our world, the world of fairy, and the world of dead blend as one. It is no wonder, then, that at this time, night has become so wrapped in superstition. It is a night of wonder and magic. On this night, the Kaliak, or the crone in parentheses, comes to strip the leaves of the trees to quicken the decay of the flesh of the year so that it may feed on the new life to come. We can also ask her to take the unwanted spirits of our personal year away, so that these two might be transformed. Yet even in the darkest night of Samhain, whilst our minds ponder our mortality, if we listen carefully, we can hear the sound of a newborn child crying for its mother's breast. For soon, it will be Alban Arthen, the winter solstice, and the wheel will turn once more. So during this time of year, hearth fires in family homes were left to burn out while the harvest was gathered. After the harvest work was complete, observers joined with Druid priests to light a community fire using a wheel that would cause friction and spark flames. The wheel was considered a representation of the sun and used along with prayers. Cattle were sacrificed and participants took a flame from the communal bonfire back to their home to relight the hearth. Some early texts present Samhain as a mandatory celebration lasting three days and three nights where the community was required to show themselves to local kings or chieftains. Failure to participate was believed to be resulting in punishment from the gods, usually illness or death. In some cases, recovered documents mention six days of drinking alcohol to excess, typically mead or beer, along with gluttonous feasts. So some ancient Celtic Samhain traditions... Because the Celts believed that the barrier between worlds was breachable during Samhain, they prepared offerings that were left outside villages and fields for fairies, or she, spelled S-I-D-H-S. It was expected that ancestors might cross over during this time as well, and Celts would dress as animals and monsters so that fairies were not tempted to kidnap them. Some specific monsters were associated with the mythology surrounding Samhain, including a shape-shifting creature called a puka that receives harvest offerings from the field. The Lady Gwine is a headless woman dressed in white who chases night wanderers and was accompanied by a black pig. The Dullahan sometimes appeared as impish creatures, sometimes headless men on horses who carried their heads. Riding flame-eyed horses, their appearance was a death omen to anyone who encountered them. A group of hunters known as the Fairy Host might also haunt Samhain and kidnap people. 
similar to the slough who would come from the west to enter houses and steal souls. Sounds like this time of year was pretty fucking scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all has to do with that darkness coming in and, mm-hmm. you know, and everyone mostly back then worked so that they could survive the winter. So winter right. survival and getting through the darkness together was, was such a great, was such a great emphasis on life that I'm sure that that's birthed a whole lot of scary tales about what happens in the darkness, especially at the beginning of the darkness. Yeah. Um, we have some myths associated with Samhain. One of the most popular Samhain stories told during the festival was the sacred battle of Mog Tired which portrays the final conflict between the Celtic pantheon known as the Tuatha de Danann and evil oppressors known as the Fomor. The myths state that the battle unfolded over the period of Samhain. Another one of the most famous Samhain-related stories is The Adventures of Nira, in which the hero Nira encounters a corpse and fairies and enters into the other world. You can read up on this story, The Adventures of Nira, translated by Kuno Meyer on ancienttexts.org. Samhain figured into um, the adventurous and mythological Celtic hero Fionn Mac Cumhale when he faced the fire-breathing underworld dweller Aelin, who would burn down the Hall of Tara every Samhain. Samhain also figures into another Fionn Mac Cumhale legend, where the hero is sent to the land beneath the wave, as well as taking place on Samhain, it features descriptions of the hero's holiday gatherings. There's more to learn about this intriguing figure on discoveringireland.com. So, Samhain in the Middle Ages, moving a little forward in time. As the Middle Ages progressed, so did the celebrations of the fire festivals, bonfires known as Samnagons, which were more personal Samhain fires nearer the farms, became a tradition purportedly to protect families from fairies and witches. Carved turnips called jack-o'-lanterns began to appear attached to strings, to sticks, and embedded with coal. Later, Irish tradition switched to pumpkins. In Wales, men tossed burning wood at each other in violent games and set off fireworks. In Northern England, men paraded with noisemakers. The tradition of the Dumb Supper began during this time, in which food was consumed by celebrants, but only after inviting ancestors to join in, giving the families a chance to interact with the spirits until they left following dinner. Children would play games to entertain the dead, while adults would update the dead on the last year's past news. The night, that night, doors and windows might be left open for the dead to come in and eat cakes that had been left for them. Dumb, in this case, is a synonym for mute or silent, as the most important rule was that a dumb supper be conducted in complete silence. It has been conjectured that young women would try to use this celebration to meet their soon-to-be husband's spirit. Some say the dumb supper has roots in an English love divination, one that was apparently once fairly well known. Americans, especially in rural regions, which often had a Scottish-slash-Irish ethnicity, perpetuated the custom into the 20th century. Now, as Christianity gained a foothold in pagan communities, church leaders attempted to reframe Samhain as a Christian celebration. The first attempt was by Pope Boniface in the 5th century. He moved the celebration to May 13th and specified that it was a day of celebrating saints and martyrs. The fire festivals of October and November, however, did not end with this decree. 
So in the 9th century, Pope Gregory moved the celebration back to the time of the fire festivals, but declared it All Saints Day on November 1st. All Souls Day would follow on November 2nd. Neither of these new holidays did away with the pagan aspects of the celebration, however. October 31st became known as All Hallows' Eve, or Halloween, and contained much of the traditional pagan practices before being adopted in 19th century America through Irish immigrants bringing their traditions across the ocean. Trick-or-treating is said to have been derived from ancient Irish and Scottish practices in the nights leading up to Samhain. In Ireland, mumming was the practice of putting on costumes, going door-to-door, and singing songs to the dead. Cakes were given as payment. Halloween pranks also have a tradition in Samhain, though in the ancient celebration, tricks were typically blamed on fairies. Today, many pagans see the two holidays as separate and choose to celebrate just one, both, or neither, based on their preference preference and or cultural background. So, Samhain in Wicca. Uh, A broad revival of Samhain resembling its traditional pagan form began with the growing popularity of Wicca. Excuse me. The Wiccan celebration of Samhain takes on many forms, from the traditional fire ceremonies to celebrations that embrace many aspects of modern Halloween, as well as activities related to honoring nature and ancestors. Wiccans look at Samhain as the passing of the year and incorporate common Wiccan traditions into celebration. These include dancing, feasting, taking nature walks, building altars to honor their ancestors, communication with spirits and or ancestors, divination, protection, and other spell work, and much more. And I should add that also non-Wiccan-associated practicing witches, magicians, sorcerers, etc. also partake in these traditions. In the Druid tradition, Samhain celebrates the dead with a festival on October October 31st and usually features a bonfire and communion with the dead. American pagans often hold music and dance celebrations called witches' balls in proximity to Samhain. In the Celtic Reconstructionist tradition, Samhain is called Ia Hauna, spelled O-I-C-H-E-S-H-M-N-H-N-A, and celebrates the mating between Tuatha de Danann gods, Dagda, and the River Uni. Celtic Reconstructionists celebrate by placing their juniper decorations around their homes and creating an altar for the dead where a feast is held in honor of deceased loved ones. Let's move on from that and talk about a very different and also somewhat similar celebration called the Day of the Dead or El Dia de los Muertos. The Day of the Dead, El Dia de los Muertos, is a Mexican holiday where families welcome back the souls of their deceased relatives for a brief reunion that includes food, drink, and celebration. The modern-day celebration seems to be a blending of Mesoamerican ritual, European religion, and Spanish culture, but origins date back thousands of years. So the following is from MexicanMuseum.org. In Mexico, death rites date from pre-Hispanic rituals represented in murals, painted pottery, monuments, and artifacts, which shows how the Day of the Dead has its origins in the rituals practiced by the indigenous peoples of the Americas. Its precedents date to more than 3,000 years ago when the Olmecs and subsequent Toltecs, Mixtecs, Zapotecs, Maya, and Aztecs honored death. Those who pass are alive in our memories— a continuous echo that at certain occasions becomes louder. 
as the only answer to many of our questions, death is an integral part of life, and the living and the dead meet in this day to emphasize the importance of death in the cycle of life. Dia de los Muertos acknowledges the symbiotic relationship between life and death. El Dia de los Muertos is celebrated on November 1st and November 2nd, in which the spirits of the dead are believed to return home and spend time with their relatives in these two days. To welcome them, the family builds altars in their honor. These altars have a series of different components that vary from one culture to another that mostly include yellow marigolds, candles, photos of the deceased ones, papel picado, or cut tissue paper designs, as well as food and beverages offered to the dead. It is common to see skulls, or calaveras, as decorations. These can be made from paper mache, clay, wood, metal, cut out tissue paper, and often they are made of sugar decorated with colored icing, flowers, or metallic colored foils. The skull imagery is deeply influenced by Mexican artist Jose Guadalupe Posada's famous etchings and illustrations of the Calavera Katrina, a female skeleton attired with a plumed hat. Excuse me, El Dia de los Muertos, although prominent in Mexico, is also celebrated in other countries such as Bolivia, Ecuador, Peru, Guatemala, and Haiti, as well as the United States. Day of the Dead altars are meant to honor the returning souls on these two days. These altars are carefully decorated with objects that connect it with the four elements of nature by symbolical associations, as well as food and drinks to please the departed. Although different cultures share similar objects, each place has a specific idiosyncratic element, and every altar is unique in its own way. And that's what I got. Well, thank you very much. That was wonderful. Um, All right. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the lovely, humble pumpkin seed. Nice. Um, I don't know if you did this with your family when you were little, but you you scoop out all the, the pumpkin guts, which in itself is both gross and completely... Uh, amazing at the same time right and then you take all the seeds out of the guts rinse them off and then put them in the oven I do that as an adult okay great (laughs) well that was always one of my uh favorite things to do when I was a kid uh was eat the pumpkin seeds that my mother Mm. baked for me so good so the cool thing about pumpkin seeds is they also have metaphysical properties um, they are good for banishing, divination, health, prosperity, and revealing the unseen. Uh, also, they're delicious. Uh, they are a natural source of tryptophan, which is an amino acid that aids in sleep. Uh, so after you bring your children home from trick-or-treating and they're all hyped up on sugar, make sure and ply them with some pumpkin seeds to help them go to bed. (laughs) Nice. Uh, So they can get some rest and so can you. Um, How do you normally do your pumpkin seeds, Margo? Uh, I like them a little bit spicy. I like them salty and spicy. Mm -hmm. So uh, a little, any kind of oil I have on hand, which is typically olive oil, a little coating of olive oil, or I have actually used butter in the past, which is not, which is also nice. And then some salt, some uh, chili pepper, some paprika, um, 
what the hell else do I put on those little bitches? Maybe that about does it. And then I just, yeah, a little, some salt and some spice. Sometimes nice. some cumin. Sometimes some cumin. Yeah. Cumin can, can definitely be an amazing addition. I love cumin. Um, I do. I usually do mine um, just simple salt and oil. But sometimes I get excited and I, you know, throw in a bunch of other stuff. But that's a great time for you to throw in some kitchen witchery. Mm-hmm. Flavor them with... Uh, spices that you want to use in in a spell absolutely i love that i have four prominent symbols associated with modern pagan Samhain. uh i like these i mean i think there's a lot of prominent symbols but these kind of stand out to me they are the crone the cauldron the besom or besom and the jack-o'-lantern mm-hmm. so on Samhain night the goddess has been mourning the loss of the god, may use her wisdom in her crone aspect, seize the opportunity of the thin veil to descend into the world of the dead and seek her beloved. The image of the crone as the old Halloween-style hag menacingly stirring her cauldron and on All Hallows' Eve ironically bears a resemblance to the crone goddess's cauldron of mysteries of life, death, and rebirth, to which all dead souls must return in order to await reincarnation. In this, the cauldron is the womb of our great Mother Earth. The crone is not to be feared or reviled, but revered and respected as a woman of power whose vast stores of wisdom came with her great age and a lifelong practice of her many skills. Both the destroyer and the healer, she is the grandmother and the eternal womb of rebirth. The crone's cauldron is deeply a part of Samhain, about a deeply a part of the Samhain mythos, representing the great earthly womb in which all things are conceived, grow, and are born. The cauldron became a popular tool for European witches because it was an everyday cooking and cleaning item that could not be held up to ecclesiastical courts as evidence of witchcraft. Another such tool is the besom. The besom, or the witch's broomstick, is an object of magical protection, despite their depictions in modern Halloween imagery, often placed at the hearth or entryway of the home when not being used in ritual to protect from evil entering. When energy is stagnant or negativity has built up, a besom, along with visualization and some words, can be used to sweep unwanted feelings or energy from the home or ritual space. Uh, moving dorsal around the house or ritual space, making sweeping motions with the besom, say, cleanse the air and free the dirt, move out of here what lays inert, whip out all conflicts, dust up disruptors, let peace reconstruct this space. You may be content to simply sweep clean your ritual space only or sweep stagnant or negative energy all the way out the door. This is one of several ways to clear energy before ritual. Now, the jack-o'-lantern. While it is true that Samhain is no more evil than any other holiday, it is also a fact that evil does exist, and pagans have always been aware of this. Ancestors sought to protect themselves on this night by carving faces into vegetables to place them near windows or at the perimeters of their homes, uh, at the perimeters of their properties. This is also closely related to the custom of placing candles in windows to help guide the earth-walking spirits along their way. 
these were the forerunners for our present-day jack-o'-lanterns. The jack-o'-lantern was designed to frighten away evil spirits who were following deceased loved ones and blocking their way into the land of the dead, and also to protect the living. All right, and following the jack-o'-lantern, I wanted to share a pumpkin protection spell. This is adapted with some changes and additions from the Sabbath's Almanac 2021. So for the pumpkin protection spell, you will need a pumpkin, a white candle, um, dried garden or cooking sage herbs or a bundle, black permanent marker, anointing protection oil, um, and a banishing powder if you would like to use it. For the banishing powder, you will need equal parts chamomile, cinnamon, black pepper, rosemary, sage, and salt, and a half part of garlic powder. So, procure a pumpkin and place it on your altar. Anoint a white candle with a protection oil and light it. Burn sage on charcoal disc or get a bundle to smolder. After smoke cleansing the pumpkin, take the black permanent marker and draw a pentagram on the bottom. Hold the pumpkin with the pentagram in your hands and say, Precious pumpkin, watch over my home, protecting from bane all you behold. By the power of this fruit in the pale moonlight, shield us from harm both day and night. Repeat this three times. Let the pumpkin sit and absorb the candlelight until it burns down completely or until you feel it is enough time. And then leave your enchanted pumpkin as a watchful guardian by your threshold. You can carve the pumpkin uh, no more than one to two days before Samhain. Now, if you want to add your banishing powder, you'll sprinkle that inside when you do carve your pumpkin and say, moon above and earth beneath, upon my home, protection bequeath, magical lantern and banishing powder, safeguard this space hour by hour. Throughout the night, this fruit shall shine as a shield of power, defending what's mine. So mote it be. And that is all. I love that. That's great. Um, I have never done a pumpkin spell, oddly. I feel like that should be an obvious thing, but I have never done that. Yeah, I think uh, a jack-o'-lantern in and of itself is a home protection aid, in my opinion. Uh, kind of always has been. So whenever I carve jack-o'-lanterns, I always um, feel like I'm making a protective talisman, so to speak. So I feel like that pumpkin protection spell is just increasing that energy. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I love it. I love it. Banishing energy. Fuck around and find out energy. Right. <laughs> I have um, two different incenses today. Uh, nice. I have a spirit incense to bring in spirits since this is uh, the time to be uh, working with spirits, honoring our ancestors, etc., etc. Uh, so the spirit incense is one part each of three simple things, uh, anise, coriander, and cardamom. Hmm. Uh, so you will mix those and burn them when you are wanting to bring spirits in to work with them. I have a second one that is for sight. And by sight, I mean the third eye uh, so that you can see <laughs> uh, since this was a great time for divination. This one is two parts gum mastic, two parts juniper, one part sandalwood, one part cinnamon, one part calamus, 
a few drops of ambergris and a few drops of patchouli. Um, and you will burn that when you are wanting to do some divination. I like it. Yeah, easy peasy. I don't have an oil uh, this this month. so Two incenses. Yeah. For two different purposes. I love that. I love making special incense blends. Uh, I, you know, I have a ton of incense on hand that, you know, are just, they're for what they're for and they're easy to burn for regular daily use. But when I have like a special occasion, like a Sabbath coming up, I love making a blend. I got to try one of those. Thanks. Um, and both of those, I'm sorry, are from the, uh, incenses, oils, and brews. Scott Cunningham. Nice. As usual. (laughs) There's no need to have any other reference for that to be honest cool so i do have another spell i want to share since i typically do share too but i also have some um, words i want to say preceding the spell since it was it's so this spell is an ancestor bottle and ancestor summoning ancestor work is incredibly important in your practice if it's something that you're comfortable with Mm -hmm. um we all have ancestors The only issue is that there are quite a few of us that either know nothing about our blood families, um, have strained relationships with blood relatives, or are simply uncomfortable um, working with spirits that we might not have any idea about. It's totally understandable. And it's, it's either you go there, you get there with practice and research and more practice, um, or maybe you're not ready to dip your toes in because it's it's you're not as confident or comfortable yet. So some words on ancestors for that is um, something I wanted to read before I start the spell. Okay. So a note on ancestors, not always blood relations. How can we feel comfortable calling on ancestors when the relationships with our families are strained? Why should we open doors to complete strangers who might not wish us well? Not all of us come from a long line of benevolent witches whose stories have been told to us by our beloved grandmothers and mothers. (laughs) Some of us do not even know our blood families at all, making the very idea of ancestors a foreign one. Others choose to surround themselves with the family they have created rather than the ones of blood ties. So what then? This is where we need to unlearn the traditional meaning of the word ancestor and open ourselves up to the broader definition afforded to us as witches. Spirit is always around us, and we strengthen our connection to it when we connect to the center of ourselves. We stop focusing on what everyone else is doing and genuinely begin to see our own connection to spirit. When we focus on our own magic, grow our own craft, and tune into source and the energies around us, all while keeping cleansings and protections regularly, we will start to awaken to the spirit around us. They are there, even if we do not know them by name, and they can be honored and called upon for guidance. I think of myself and other witches as the descendant of witches who came before, the people who have taken their power in hand in order to make their lives what they dared to, and most importantly, those who could not due to oppression. When I honor my ancestors, I honor all of those powerful and would-be powerful witches of the past. 
pathfinders, wisdom seekers, independent spirits, teachers, healers, and the oppressed, and I express my awe for them who lived in a time far less free than mine. In this time, I practice in their honor as my sisters, my brothers, ancestors whose undeniable power lives on. Aside from the ever-present spirit that surrounds us, our guides, and the all-pervasive, and the ancestors that we adopt, there are those who have touched our lives in some way who are no longer with us. These are dear friends, teachers, guardians, those who offered us guidance and inspiration, whether we knew them or not, and even beloved pets and animal familiars. The beings who shape us are just as important as the ancestors and those that are tied to us by blood. Honor them and allow them to embrace you in return. For loved ones who passed, leaving unsettled conflicts that make you feel uneasy about including them in your family ancestors, write them a letter and burn it. Then wait and watch and listen. For when we've opened ourselves up to spirit, of the plants, of wood, of stone, through the magic of the candles that we burn, the incense smoke we send into the air, and the tools on our altars, we open ourselves to the spirit within and those guides with whom we may be in a position to commune with from time to time. Patience, practice, protections. Meditate, journal, read, and apply your knowledge. Let magic be the source of your connection to ancestors when family history cannot. Bring tools, rituals, and ingredients from your own culture into your established practice to further guide you towards discovery. Continue to evolve and learn until you feel the connections that you once longed for. On the less witchy side, consider DNA testing to allow you to further connect with the old ways that may be in your lineage. In the meantime, build your own ancestral support system. You may find it was all you ever needed, or it may continue to grow still in time. Don't forget that there are ancestors of land, blood, and spirit, different yet similar in many ways. We are all connected, living, dead, human, animal, plant, and stone. The elements and spirit, the old ones, and the source. It's just a matter of learning to feel it. During the thinning of the veil, it is a great time to tap in when you are ready and no sooner. Okay, so I have an ancestor bottle and ancestor summoning spell. And um, even though I just said everything I said about ancestors, I also only recommend this um, or any other spirit summoning spell to practitioners who feel fully comfortable and confident performing it, preferably after you've had plenty of experience with Spell work, especially the protection basics, we all have to crawl before we walk, right? So for for an ancestor bottle and summoning spell, made shortly before Samhain, the ancestor bottle is created as a symbolic invitation to departed loved ones to commune with us and participate in an exchange of information. You will need a glass bottle with a cork or a lid, uh, a skull, skull shaped if possible, that would be cool, but any type of glass bottle is fine. Black sand, dried wormwood, assorted black crystals, handwritten names and or photos of departed loved ones, hair, nails, or blood as a link to you, a black or silver glitter, sealing wax to seal the bottle, or a black candle to burn on top to seal it shut, Uh, a journal, a black candle for the spell, sandalwood or dragon's blood incense, and one six-inch round mirror. The process of making the bottle infuses your energy into it. When the bottle is complete, 
Hold it in both hands, close your eyes, and take several deep breaths until you reach a meditative state. Mentally place your intention within the bottle to invite your departed loved ones and say, within this bottle, I invite, and you can enter specific names here, or say any benevolent and well-intentioned ancestors I may have, to be present and communicate with me. Place the bottle on your altar and cast the ancestor summoning spell. Keep a journal with you to record the experience or any information you receive. At this point, you can ask questions, ask for advice, have a conversation. The veil is thin. They are listening. For this step, know who you are contacting um, or be clear that you are only interested in contacting benevolent ancestors. If you typically do so, now is the time to cast a circle of magic for protection uh, as you would, as you typically might, and place your mirror on the holder or prop it up so that it is standing upright, turned slightly to your face, but not reflected. Place your bottle on their altar and cast the spirit summoning spell. Light the incense and place near the mirror. Carve a Triskel symbol on the side of the black candle and light it. The candle should be near the mirror, but also not reflected. Turn off all lights except for the candle flame and any natural lighting that still exists. Close your eyes and take a deep breath until you reach a meditative state. As clearly as is possible, visualize the departed loved ones you wish to communicate with. It is best to call upon them one at a time, saying, Through mist and shadows, smoke and flame, in this portal of glass, I speak your name. I call upon, name in parentheses, to communicate with me by the powers of land, sky, and sea. Gaze into the mirror and open yourself to any impressions, senses, feelings, or images you may receive. Ask questions and listen quietly. Close your eyes to help you tune in to the unseen and return your gaze to the mirror intermittently. Record your findings in your journal. Communication continues for as long as the candle flame burns, so you can snuff it out when you feel you are done or let it burn down. This is, the, this is best performed on the night of Samhain after dark. On November 2nd, open the bottle to retrieve any items from it that you want to keep. Cleanse them and then dispose of the contents along with the bottle. You can make a new bottle on the following Samhain and compare your journal notes to the year before. I like that. That's very interesting. I'm going to have to rewrite that because uh, I had some trouble reading it the way I had written originally. <laughs> These things happen. Uh, it's all fun and games, so you have to read your own handwriting. That's right. That's right. When I was writing the uh, New Moon in Scorpio episode out, I was like, <laughs> and I went to look at it and I was like, holy shnike. What is this nonsense? <laughs> Um, all right, so I am going to share a recipe. This is a, an easy recipe you can do with the kids. Sweet and spicy nuts. Ooh, I like it. I, I do too. I love a good, I love a good nut recipe. <laughs> also, I'm 10, 12. I'm a teenager. Um, okay, 10 ounces of mixed nuts two tablespoons of olive oil, one teaspoon of salt, one tablespoon of brown sugar, half teaspoon of cayenne. If your kids don't like the spicy, you don't have to add that, but it's not very much. 
um, and a pinch of cumin, which is optional, but cumin makes everything better. Mm. Um, you are going to preheat your oven to 350 and line a baking sheet with parchment paper. Uh, place your nuts in a bowl, then add the rest of the ingredients. You're going to mix well until all the nuts are well coated with the, in, uh, the ingredients. Bake for five minutes, stir them around a little bit, and then bake an additional 10 minutes or until they are roasted and golden. I want some of those right now. Me too. We've come to the point in our recording where I'm starting to feel hungry for dinner. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making soup tonight too, so it's going to take a while after uh, we're done. I don't know why I didn't think it through. Yeah. Better. I think we're having leftovers, which isn't is never very exciting except for the fact that it's done very quickly. So yeah. that's always nice. Already ready already. Yeah. As usual, I'm going to give you some stuff that you can do with your family. Uh, these are fun things that you can do with the kids for Halloween. So you can make the Neepy lanterns, which are the turnip lanterns instead of jack-o'-lanterns, uh, like American ones <laughs> with the pumpkins. Um, I will tell you that carving a turnip is much more difficult. So that's probably something you'll want the kids to, to, to design it. And the adults should actually carve it. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I probably lose a finger trying to carve a turnip and I'm an adult. So yeah. Uh, lemon, oh, lemon ballers, melon ballers. <laughs> melon <laughs> ballers are great. Yeah, a lemon baller. Or, well, you know, good good old lemon baller. If you use a, a melon baller, a good sturdy one, that will help you carve out the inside. Um, as you're carving the turnips with your kiddos, explain to them how a uh, turnip lantern started it all. Pretzels. So my kids a few years ago, um, well, we had the the pandemic, which came along the last year that they could legally, yes, I said legally, which is horrible, uh, could legally trick or treat. Uh, in the city of Fredericksburg, Virginia, you are not legally allowed to trick or treat after the age of 12. Wow. I have right. never, I have never heard of that being legally enforced. It's bullshit. I have to say. After 12? Yeah. So. Mm, that's, that's, okay. <laughs> I have feelings about that. Oh, well. You're, you're too old to have fun. <laughs> um, I mean, some of us, some of us weren't allowed to go running around town with our friends until a certain age. So. Know, until we were 13 or So you've got yeah. that window of being not a teenager yet. Mm -hmm. but not a small child either, but you at least have that freedom to go run around and trick or treat with your friends, which is fun. Right. And that might happen at 13, you know, like, yeah, I think that's what they're trying to avoid because that point of time when you're running around with your friends and no parents is when you do the tricking instead of the treating, oh, I guess. Christ. I don't know. We're fuck young people are not vicious monsters. Like, wow. Oh my God. Yeah. It's when, how did we get to a certain age and then fear people who were younger than us? 
I don't know. I don't know. <sighs> okay. Um, All right. I'm done. Anyway. That's okay. That's okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that you agree with me because I was actually like, are you kidding me? But anyway, so the last year that the kids were legally allowed to trick or treat, the pandemic happened. So they couldn't trick or treat. Um, so we did a few things. Uh, we did, we started the tradition of the Halloween movie marathon. Okay. Uh, that starts on the Friday before Halloween and ends, you know, on Sunday evening. And then I made like a huge spread of all kinds of fun things. And this is one that's super easy and fun to do with the kids. Uh, you get the big pretzel dowels. Um, they're like, I don't know, eight inches long and about, I don't know, half inch around. You dip those in chocolate and sprinkle them with brown sprinkles, which are called what? Jimmy's. <laughs> so you sprinkle them with brown jimmies. <laughs> if you're in New Jersey. And um, then you put at the tip of it a little slivered almond. Almond. Oh. And it's a werewolf finger. <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. Very cute. My kids love those. They're delicious. I mean... <laughs> pretzel with chocolate can't go wrong there uh, you can also use the green uh, candy melts and then put some little lines on them you know where knuckles would be mm -hmm. and a little slivered almond and that is a witch finger i love it i want to eat some fingers <laughs> i'm hungry for fingers me too you can also uh do your pigs and blankets but strip up the the crescent rolls into little strips and tie them around the uh, the hot dog like a mummy. Yes, mummy dogs. Mummy dogs. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm so hungry right now for like <laughs> just mummy dogs and fingers. <laughs> fingers and some sweet spicy nuts. Yes. Okay. All well, the I'm done. I'm done uh, torturing you. What do you have next? correspondences and uh even though i totally arrived with my homework um i can't find it right now so i'm gonna grab a book that's right in front of my face okay so i can read off the correspondences that have disappeared from my stack of papers and my dog's not even in this room so i can't blame either of them i don't get it i'll be right back you know when in doubt reach for llewellyn's book complete book of correspondences absolutely that thing is massive and amazing Ugh, starts in january like a total muggle thing <laughs> fucking muggles writing correspondence books <laughs> all right correspondences for october 31st Samhain slash hallow mass so the planetary slash luminary correspondence is the moon the season is autumn. Moon phase is new. Colors are black and orange. Now, I know a lot are of people they? like to incorporate like green and purple and all that, but mm -hmm. black and orange. Trees, apple, beech, blackthorn, locust, pomegranate, willow, witch hazel, and yew. Herbs and garden plants include angelica, broom, catnip, garlic, heather, mugwort, and sage. Miscellaneous, miscellaneous other plants include allspice, bittersweet, 
Dittany, Mullen, Patchouli, and Reed. Gemstones and minerals include Carnelian, Obsidian, and Onyx. Magical creatures, fairies. Goddesses and gods. The Bod, Banba, Kaliach, Durga, Hecate, Hel, Inanna, Ishtar, Kali, Maka, Nephthys, Rhiannon. Aran, Belenus, Coyote, the Dagda, Hades, Loki, Odin, and Pluto. Animals include the bat, boar, cat, cow, and dog. And issues, intentions, and powers. Crossroads, darkness, death, divination, honor as in ancestors, introspection, the otherworld slash underworld, release, visions, and wisdom, especially of the crone. Wonderful. Yeah. Very nice. I actually thought it was going to be a bigger list of correspondences, but I like that it was. I like that it was more focused. I do too. I actually was. I was. I was getting ready to be take here a nap. For a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I'm actually, I was going to do another thing, but I, I think I'm going to skip that for right now. Okay. So I'm going to do putting the garden to bed. This is actually something from the Llewellyn's Witches State book of 2022, and I love it. Um, at the end of the growing season, when most gardeners retire from their work for a rest, it's good to spiritually tuck your gardening space in as well. This should be done after you have cleared the space of dead plants and weeds for the season. During a waning moon, which guess what? It's Ooh. waning up until Samhain. <laughs> On a Friday or Saturday, boil two quarts of water. In a bowl, put several sprigs of sage or two tablespoons dried herb, one coarsely chopped apple, and a quarter cup of honey. Pour the boiling water over the material in the bowl and allow to cool to room temperature. Do not strain out the material. After sunset, go to your gardening space with your bowl. Clear your mind as you slowly stir the liquid with your dominant hand. Visualize the bounty and beauty of your garden this year. When the time feels right, walk Wittershins along, which is my favorite word, I'm sorry, walk Wittershins along the perimeter of your growing space, aspergeing the area with your offering. Cast the leftover material over the garden in general. Give thanks to your deities for the bounty you received. And that was written by J.D. Hortwort. I love that. I also love the word Wittershins. It's a great word. And if anybody asks you why you use Wittershins rather than counterclockwise, tell them to write both those terms down mm -hmm. and they'll see that Wittershins is more fun to write also. Yeah. <laughs> I think we actually have a waxing moon through through Samhain this year. Oh, boo. But that's okay. It's a fun thing to do in November. You are right. I am wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which happens a lot, actually. <laughs> well, you do it after Hall after Samhain slash Halloween season in November when it's waning. That's right. Just in case, because sometimes there's a little extra burst of warmth around there. You never know. That's right. That's I don't know. Right. Nothing makes sense anymore. We're all going to die. Um, Jesus. So. 
Well, that <laughs> escalated quickly. <laughs> I have a tarot spread to bring Sweet. bring a little joy back. Um, All since, right. Since I'm the one that killed it. I have a tarot spread. So this is from wartsandcunning.com. The third and final harvest festival of the year, Samhain, is the end of the bright half of the year. The roots to Beltane's flowering branches. The part of ourselves that has been slumbering since Beltane, awaken to the call of night as we join the spirits, ancient ones, ancestors, wild god and goddesses, and their hordes, as they clamor noisily through the land, welcoming in the new year. Our Samhain tarot spread glimpses forwards and backwards through the malleability of time and, and the veil which shapes and bends with greater ease during the hallows season. The spread is an attempt to connect us with our oracular inclinations to notice the omens and to become a better omen ourselves. All right, so for this spread, you are going to lay out eight cards in a pyramid pointing upward. Card number one will be by itself. Card two, three, and four directly underneath card number one, and card five, six, seven, and eight directly underneath two, three, and four. So the pyramid points upwards, four cards, three cards, and then one card. Gotcha. Okay. So card number one up at the top is the moon, a source of guiding illumination for the death slash birth of the year. A look at the big picture influences in your life at the moment. Card number two, underneath and to the left, is the path. A glimpse into the very near future. Pay attention to particular images, symbols, and signs on this card, as they may very well be path markings and road signs. It says for your be looking out for. So that's there's like a, an, an error in there that just made my brain completely shut off and, and, right re and reboot <laughs> um, they may <laughs> they may very well be path markings and road signs that you should be looking out for we'll say it that way okay great card card number three is directly under card number one it is the lantern the point that you use as your current primary guide what has captivated your attention and that you are drawn to Reversals of this card may speak of a guiding point that is either dim or hard to see, or one that is particularly illusory and not of great benefit to the seeker. Card number four, on, still underneath card one and to the right, is the mask. What illusions are you maintaining for yourself or others? These masks are not always meant to deceive, but often to protect, survive, or adapt to the situation at hand. All right, now we're on the bottom column here, the bottom row, sorry. Now we're on the bottom row here. Number five is the bones. We're going left to right. So number five, the bones, a reflection of ancestry, family, culture, heritage, etc. Pay attention to the relics that you keep as symbols of these various heritages. What purpose do they serve? Card number six, directly to the right of card number five is the bonfire, what needs to be cleansed and offered to the fire in order to move through the new year? Card number seven, directly to the right of card number six, is the veil. What is being revealed? The parting of the veil affects us in sometimes subtle, sometimes intense ways. What is being revealed about your deep self that usually remains hidden? 
whether purposefully or unconsciously. And the last card, card number eight, all the way to the right at the bottom, the Ancient Ones. This is guidance from ancestors, spirits, and or guides. And that, I believe, is probably going to require another visual visual aid. <laughs> okay, and finally, uh, since we are in the tarot mode, uh, before we wrap up, I want to give a tarot association with the celebration of Samhain, and that is the moon. At Samhain, the great goddess reigns in the form of the crone, and the great god in the form of the lord of death. We honor ancestors and prepare for a time of reflection. The moon tarot card also suggests a time of reflection as the moon reflects the light of the sun. Part of the spiritual work of the dark time of the year is clearing out that which no longer serves, which usually includes facing fears and difficult truths, our inner dragons. The crayfish in the moon card is also associated with divination, strong spiritual connections, and communication between realms. Samhain, a time when the veil between worlds is thin, is also a time for divinatory activities and ancestor work. The card features a lot of water, representing the deep and sometimes turbulent waters of the soul. Dive deeply and submerge yourself in the moon. Find your way through these deeps and discover the gifts that will shape you as you continue your journey. And that is it. Very nice. I wonder, is the moon also the Scorpio card? Because I feel like it should be. I'm not sure because um, Scorpio is ruled by a different planet. But Cancer is ruled by the moon, and that is another water card. So I'm actually not positive off the top of my head, but if I had to, I would assign the moon to Cancer. But uh, I don't know. Can you do a quick? quick? Well, maybe. Uh, it's it's ruled by the Death Tarot card. Scorpio is? That, that also kind of tracks. Yeah, All right, cool. yeah that, that totally tracks. And the Death <laughs> card was probably... Probably also a good Samhain association card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so that new moon in Scorpio leading up to Samhain, it's it's all very, very relatable and very in tune with the season. Yeah, very, very, very much so. It's the golden hour right now, and it looks so beautiful outside. Hmm. I am facing northeast out this one window, so... I don't see that on on the side of the house that I am that I am at, but I'm going to make my way to the kitchen very soon and then I will be able to see it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad that we were able to uh, hang out again today. Yeah. I hope everyone has a beautiful Samhain. Same. We will actually be publishing this episode the week before Samhain and on the day of Samhain slash Halloween, we will be publishing our next Taurian tirade. So that is going to be heavy with Halloween energy. Because it is actually Halloween on that day. I'm very excited about that one. That'll be a good one. Yeah, me too. Me too. We're going to have to pull out all the stops. We are. I'm going to do some fucking prep work. (laughs) And maybe I'll make like a fun uh, cocktail from one of my, um, from one of my books sounds exciting i'm excited all right all right cool 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 well everyone we will see you next time we will put bells on yes 
You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at The Hearth and Hedge, on our website, thehearthandhedge.com, or email us at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. Our address is The Hearth and Hedge, P.O. Box 397, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, 08003. We also have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash thehearthandhedge. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a review wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you.